Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Live, laugh, love. Oh, fuck off. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. That's Vieira! Absolutely fantastic! Thierry Henry! He scored! He scored for Arsenal! It is just what Pierre Emerick Aubameyang does. Gabriel Martinelli has equalised for the Gunners! Welcome back to the Different Knock Podcast, episode number 41 with Alexander Moneypenny and the Donny from Donstable. (laughs) I caught myself off guard. Sweet Caroline. We won a match of football. Hello, Bradley. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks, my friend. How are you? Oh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling yeah. good. Yeah. Um, yes, I thought I'd just catch you off off guard. Catch you off guard. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling good, man. I'm 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 buzzed off that result. Yeah. You normally yeah, you normally do this, but I'm I'm feeling lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I'm I'm pretty. I'm pretty. I'm very happy. Three yeah. nil. Uh, fifth clean sheet in a row. First time since what 2009, I think. Yeah. Yeah. First time in 12 years. And an Alba double. Could have been a hat trick if he hadn't slammed it against the bar. Hmm. You know, we were just talking just before we started recording, and basically, I think that my kind of summing up of this is, you know, it's be- it's not as bad as we thought it was, and it's not as good as it could be, but we're in a stable position. I, I, I yeah, I, I'd agree. It's like it's not as bad, but uh, uh, and kind of it's not as good as we think it is. Like yeah. this is a good result, but. We beat Newcastle. It's Newcastle. smashed by Sheffield, so... Yeah, uh, who are currently... You know, they flashed up that... I mean, our stats are nothing to talk about at the moment. We're we're fucking horrific when it comes to kind of our creative numbers at the moment. Um, But they are horrific. They are a horrifically bad team who Can I give you some good stats? Yeah. Emil Smith Rowe has assisted three of Bukaka uh, Bukak- Kaka of Bukayo Saka's <laughs> Premier League goals. They are the first English duo to combine for as many three as many 
Do you want to start that again? I did go to start that again. Turns out (laughs) I can't read. (laughs) They are the first English duo to combine for as many as three Premier League goals before either player has turned the age of 21. Um, Smith Rowe has uh, now got more um, Premier League assists than Kai Havertz in something like seven less games as well. I think it's I think it's ten less games. <laughs> I, th- I think Arsenal I, have won. I retweeted it or something. It's fucking jokes. Since he made oh. his first start against Chelsea, only Bruno Fernandez has created more chances from open play than Smith Rowe. We could keep going, Brad. We could just we could just oh, reel off mate. the good stats. You could just reel it be... reel it off. Yeah, no, he was he's fucking the phenomenal tonight. Um, yeah, and I think it, again, it just like and as much as I think he he's showing at the moment the absolute potential that he's got to grow into a world-class number 10. He's nowhere near that yet. Imagine what having a world-class number 10 in that role would be like, you know, or even having, because again, we were discussing just before about how this game, I think more than ever convinced me now that we've got party back, how much we're in need of, instead of a Buendia or a Brandt type who can play number 10 or kind of floating into the right or floating into the left, somebody who can kind of play both the eight and the 10 role. Somebody who can deputise in those two positions because we've got fucking wingers coming out of our ears. Yeah. And we, we've got so many options on the left and so many options on the right, but where we don't have a lot of options is creatively through the middle. And getting somebody in like a Hussein Awa to play that 8-10 role, like you said, he'd be perfect for that. What I think, kind of I think taking Xhaka's place. Yeah. What what I really noticed this evening is something I was, you know, that was going to come on to in the, in the kind of the analysis is Xhaka... When Tini's on the field, Xhaka has a real role. Xhaka has a real kind mm-hmm. of um, presence, has a has a someone to feed. When Tini's not playing, Xhaka bec- and Party is Xhaka becomes almost redundant. Almost, yeah. There's very few things he can do better than Party. There's very few, very few things. Even Smith Rowe does that kind of cleanup work that that Xhaka does. So I'm kind of going, yeah. And, and listen, you know, Xhaka is in good form. I understand why we picked him. I understand, you know why he's in that position and he does you know he offers us a little bit okay he drops back into that three and offers us a bit more of a you know something from in the build-up and it's nice to have a left footer there of course it is but someone like an hour who can progress that ball who can push that into that space something i did notice um which i'm analyzing the game now something i did notice was kind of the how static we were throughout a lot of that kind of opening periods yeah and someone who can progress that ball and isn't isn't granite jacker and isn't going to Grab people by the throat in every third game um, might be useful. But yeah, listen, um, we'll have a kind of more general conversation about the, the January transfer window because I think that's really it's a good um, good thing to do. But look, we're, we're seven points behind Liverpool. They've got one more game to play. But, you know, we're 10 points off the top. And what did you say, 15 off the bottom? Yeah, 10 points off the top, 15 off the bottom. Obviously, we're, we're going to slide about a bit because there are some people with like Villa who are a point below us have four, four games, games in, hand. in hand on us. Listen... In in the current climate, the lowest we can slide is eleventh, though. So we'll go from tenth to eleventh. In the current climate, any result is good, and I think you know, maybe maybe a year, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Maybe you know, in any season other than this, I wouldn't be looking at a Newcastle three 0 at home and going good. But you know, think about when that goal goes in, the confidence that that you can visibly see in these players. It's so important to just keep winning, keep up this culture of winning. Of course. Um, so important. And yeah, great to see obviously the young guys doing so well. Um 
Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And it's like we said before, like, if we're realistic about our aspirations for this season, we say in jest we're 10 points off the top. We're, gonna, we're, ne- we're not getting anywhere near the top. I, don't, I, I think, depending on how things pan out, top four... Look, until it's mathematically over, Leicester won the league. Weirder things that have happened than Arsenal making a late surge. This season, this season all is all bets is, are off. All bets are off. It's mentally open. You're talking about Sheffield United, who finished in the top eight last season, and now currently what? Where are Just, they? Like, they're, they're dead bottom. They're, they've they're got five bottom. points. Like they've got a goal difference of minus twenty two. Like this is a mental season. Anything can happen. But if we're realistic, we want to be pushing kind of top eight, maybe broaching Europa League. But even if we just take that off the table, as long as we're winning, or like even if it's just picking up points, we're getting further and further and further away from that relegation zone, and it takes the pressure off. And I'm look, not, I, yeah, it it does just become a thing of moving to next season rather than focusing yeah. on this one. I'm more interested in comparing ourselves with ourselves, really. Like, I think, you know, that kind yeah. of, we can, we're, we are in one process, but, you know, as a team, we are in such a transitional stage. It feels like we're always in a transitional stage, but, and every team is obviously always transitioning, but we are going through a lot of transition um, in terms of the, the, the amount of it. And you look at we can sit here and go, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm not, it's not to say we shouldn't be targeting things. It's not to say we shouldn't be saying, okay, we should be aiming for this position or whatever. That's fine. But let's just take it, you know, more than any other season, I'm looking game by game. Are we moving forward? Are we improving? Are we seeing signs? Are we seeing players, you know, picked on form and for the right reasons and all those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things like, we'll come to it obviously later, but you know, the Ozil leaving, that's gone now. We've moved forward. We've, 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 you know, whatever you well, think of it, whatever you want. It's wanna... not been confirmed. It's in... Arteta essentially confirmed it on... After... It, yeah, it, it's like it is everything but, but done. What... And good luck to him. Of course. But what I'm saying is like, <laughs> these, we have to see progress on our own, on our own turf and in our own house and getting, we're getting our own house in order. I feel mm-hmm. before we start looking around and too much and going, oh, you know, we need to, the, you know, the conversations that, you know, that are sort of had on Monday night football and football daily and those sort of, you know, Liverpool need to pick it up. And I don't think we, let's not get involved in those conversations. Let's just it's take it we're game, no, by game by it's, game by game. It's pointless because we're nowhere near. It probably where would we, be pointless for us, literally. We're nowhere near where we, <laughs> where we want to be, but also we are, far ahead stature and structure wise of the people that we're currently around you know Villa last the only reason that they're currently in the Premier League is because of a technological error that meant that a goal that Sheffield United on a technological technicality but genuinely only reason they're in the league is because they stayed up by one point because they got a goal um, disallowed by Sheffield United I think it was against them or maybe against or I can't remember what game, but I know that that's what happened. And then Bournemouth went down by one point. So you're talking about the structure of, and, you know, they went out and made some smart acquisitions and some smart moves that has kind of now solidified them in the Premier League. But stature-wise, we are way above, you know, I mean, they've got the history. They, they've got a lot of, they've got a long and rich, rich history. But if we're talking kind of modern football and modern terms, you know, I mean, Blackburn Rovers have won a fucking Premier League, for Christ's sake. So, yeah. Okay, let's jump into the game. So, yeah, yeah, listen, 3-0 at the Emirates, Arsenal beating Newcastle United in Monday Night Football game. So, line-up, we had Leno, 
as always, obviously. Uh, no real surprises. Um, I don't know why I picked out Leno. Pointless. The only real uh, surprises were probably Cedric at right back. Um, I think we could have predicted everything else. I was surprised Gabriel wasn't involved. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't know why, really. I know that he's played a lot of football. COVID as well, like getting back to fitness after that. Yeah. And it could might be also be a bit more strenuous than people because obviously he's young as well i think one thing that's going on with coronavirus at the moment is that a lot of people what sorry (laughs) i just think that a lot of people are discounting the effects it can have on a young person as in like realistically me you gabrielle and a lot of these players are in a in an age bracket (laughs) me you gabrielle (laughs) no but as in we're in an age bracket where it wouldn't like it's not going to the likelihood is percentage wise (laughs) it's not going to kill us doesn't mean it couldn't really really affect us physically yeah so it could just be that he's being eased back in and we're not risking him when it's not i think if this game is against a man city or like bigger bigger opposition we might risk it and throw him in but because it's against the newcastle that we beat a week ago two nil and we were comfortable in handling i think that's mm. probably why we didn't see him today. Yeah, and there's I a do certain... think like it is getting to a point where David Luiz just see- is such a downgrade. He does hurt us so much as a team just having him involved. You know, going from Mari to him is quite a, or at least seems to be a very decent drop off. And just get a hairband, mate. Just get a fucking hairband. I'm sh- I'm not joking. I think he missed one of those two headers that he missed because his hair was in, the- in his face. I'm not joking. Like I know it sounds stupid, but I, I genuinely do think it because you watch it in the replay. It slows down. His hair's like in his eyes. Anyway, um, <laughs> forget that. Forget Louise's sartorial choices. Cedric was a strange one. I agree on on Gabriel. Yeah, maybe it's a COVID thing. Cedric was a strange mm. one. We'll come to how he actually played, but in terms of the pick, I do get it, and I think there's a conversation to be had about the right back position. We have, you know, Zoolander. A guy who doesn't look bothered and a guy who is very, very limited. Um, and when you compare him to who we've got a left back, it's it's looking it's looking like a real weakness. I think the right back position has gone up my list in terms of where we should be looking. Yeah. Once we fix, say, centre forward and, and, and someone in the central midfield, I'd probably probably look at getting a right back. Um so yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think I think Cedric did okay. Cedric has got a really good delivery and he wriggles out of tight spaces quite well. He just is quite lightweight and quality-wise, he doesn't offer loads in terms of going forward. But, you know, he's got a decent delivery. But yeah, I just, I think I think in terms of the pick, it makes sense because Maitland-Niles had an absolute stinker last time it was out and Bellerin... I think, yeah, it's, for me, it's a real shame because for... I think Cedric, he is what he is. He's a perv- perfectly serviceable backup option. Like perfectly serviceable second choice right back the issue is is we have no real first choice right back when when it comes to quality Uh, I feel sorry for Maitland Niles in that he's not exactly played a lot of minutes and then while he has performed out well on the left hand side of of a defense he's done that in a three rather than a as like a left wing back rather than just a um, a full back so I think that while I agree, he did not have a particularly great game against Palace. I don't think it's a fair representation of his abilities. For me, the way I think I agree with you about we 
we need to kind of sort that right back position out. And I think we can do that in one of two ways. We need to see whether Maitland-Niles is actually good enough at right back to, as, as to whether we yeah, need to bring one game, in. I think, I th- and I think by now we know how, you know, Bellerin is a lovely guy, um, great person, does a lot of charity work, all of this kind of stuff. But we know how kind of, he's never going to really be a massive, massive detriment to the team. He's not going to be a Mustafi who's going to cost you two goals in one game and do ridiculous, but he will do things like lose Zaha when Zaha runs and then Granit Xhaka has got to make a wonder tackle or randomly steal the ball away from Lacazette like he did in the Crystal Palace game. Or, you know, in some of the, when we were on that really, really poor run, there were a few moments where a, a couple of the goals, especially one of them against Villa that we conceded was due to a poor ball from him and then he's out of position. So we just know that he is an average player. He's never going to be brilliant. He's never going to be horrific. So I think that he's not, but he's just not of the level now. We know this. It's time to kind of try and get maybe 25 million for him, 30 million and move on. And giving Ainsley is the smartest move right now. I think maybe even selling Bellerin in January, if the option arises, would be a good move. Um, because you think if we, three up, if we free up 35 million in January, and if it's true that obviously the Cronkies put the money up for party, there should still be some money hanging around somewhere. It would give us a decent chunk of money to go and manoeuvre. You know, so if we get an offer in the next few days... If I was, if it was my choice, I would consider taking it depending on if I trusted in the fact that I would then have to give Ainsley a run of games as first choice right back to see if he's good enough. And then if you give him, say, three months where you're playing him, you're giving him like 70% of the starting minutes. And if he doesn't perform, you, because I don't think that he's, I don't think he's going to be horrific like I don't think it's going to be a situation where we'll have sold Bellerin and we'll end up with like a Mustafi at right back he might not be amazing but you'll at least get to see and you'll give him the chance to show whether he can perform there and then it will either and that will dictate as to whether we need to go spend 40 million on a right back in in you know yeah September but get the klaxon out but conjecture there is a part of me that thinks Maitland-Niles just won't be good enough there's a there's a big question mark for me over his attitude I just every time I see him I think he looks a little bit disinterested a little bit he's very he's got good quality I think he, and this is the reason why I would give him a run of the game as you say I think conversely I'm interested in us signing slash promoting a backup left back before we let any of our right backs go just because say for example Tierney got a long-term injury which is a possibility uh-huh. Maitland-Niles would have to switch to the left back and then we've only got Cedric and Bellerin and if we'd sold Bellerin we're, we're in trouble so yeah I, I think we need to look at left back first but we've got I Chambers agree, I think but again yeah 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 it's just we're, we're scraping the barrel it, it, but again we're got, scraping I, the barrel with this entire squad at the moment yeah. there are, we've I, I counted including the players on loan we've currently got 30 was it i think it was like 31 or 32 members of the first team squad like it's fucking mental like 4 a.m and you're on the arsenal.com website just one two three four five <laughs> um i i'd put bellerin into the kind of list of our if 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 Hillary Clinton has her basket of deplorables, I'd have my basket of eighty percenters, where you're only gonna get eighty percent. The maximum these guys can deliver is eighty percent of what we need, and I would mm-hmm. put holding 
David Luiz, Xhaka, Lacazette, the the usual suspects, the Bellerin into those into those yeah. positions because they they and they may be so holding at the moment is giving us eighty percent every. Yeah. Single, I, I, I'm really rating him, but the problem is he's again it's just it's that limitations and he's not he's there, also so, yeah. not i think it's also fine keeping a holding if he's performing at that 80 percent. like it'd be fine exactly. keeping like if bellerin was performing at that 80 percent for the entire season don't need to replace him it's the same Which way 100 percent of his capacity and yeah. that but that's not exactly what we need but it's enough for now but it's it's enough to, it's enough to go okay we can sort out center mid we can sort out what's going on yeah, up yeah. front and we can sort out other things but yeah, because yeah. we are only getting 40% from that 80% at right back like yep. half the time we're, we're ending up in a situation where we have so much quality on the left that it's so glaringly obvious the yeah, issues the balance, that we have the on the right for sure um jumping into the game then I thought I mean peak COVID ball I know uh, Arteta's kind of expressed concerns about freshness um, obviously, Party's coming back from an injury. Um, you know, Tierney's was kind of a bit give and go. Uh, give and go? Touch and go. Give and go is a football move. Um, a bit touch and go. And yeah, I, I did think we saw those effects, potentially some freshness or whatever. But Party man, I mean, let's let's just have a moment on him. His aura makes space. Like, that's what I felt. And he's one of the only players who I... Party does things on the football pitch in our team. And I just go, oh... I'm, I'm sat there and out, you know, I'm going, oh, oh. Um, He's we'll very the... good at football. I mean, I texted you, didn't I? Thomas yeah. Party <laughs> is very good at football. And that's all you can say. Sometimes, and I know we normally do this sort of chronologically, but let's just jump forward to the goal here. The Aubameyang goal. I mean, ultimately that's resisting a bit of press, having the intelligence to pick out that ball to Aubameyang. But, you know, that's that's what quality gets you. And unfortunately... That's what it is. It's those moments. You know, if, the, mm. if that's Granite Jacker on the ball, he plays a sideways pass. He tries to find a Bamiang, gets it in the wrong position. Party plays the exact right ball. And this guy is, this guy is a, is a, is a supermodel. He is, you know, he just knows where it's at. He just, you know, he can, he can, he can break the press. He can receive it. He can intercept. He can play long, short, direct, mid, like he just, He's everything you want and more from a midfielder. He's got physicality. He's got work rate. He gets up and down the pitch. He's he's someone who he almost has a kind of. Um, I was watching with my with my partner, and she said, "Is he limping?" And I was like, "I don't think it's a limp. It's this sort of ambling aura that he has of this kind of." And I'm sort of like rimming this guy right now, but I just think he's he makes us. And as Arteta says, he just gives us qualities that other players simply don't have. That ability to just break away in such a quick moment he's he's gorgeous to watch and he just he just adds that and i know it's such a cliche and i've said it so many times but he adds that kind of piers morgan midfield general that we've needed i'm not going to compare him to patrick Vieira, but so, you know no because have, i don't have I, I don't person, think they're particularly comparable yeah comparable players but i would compare him to patrick Vieira or or other other players of that invincible era in almost the fear factor and the wow factor. I don't think that Arsenal on their roster currently have more than three or four players that an opposition team would not want in their starting lineup. For sure. And I think those probably four players currently are Party, Smith Rowe, Saka, and Martinelli. They're the four players you worry about. And Abamian probably on his day. 
Of course, on his day, but going off of current form, obviously he scored yeah, two yeah. today, but, you know, yeah. it's four goals in Recent 15 form. games. If if we're going off of kind of how regularly, you know, and obviously Party has only been back a little bit, but, what you know, what we've seen of him, the first few games that he played for us, he was phenomenal. And then he's come back in his first start back. He's been brilliant. And I think it, it does just... In, one of the, th- the big things about that Invincibles era was that the game was won before the game had kicked off. Yeah. There was you such a mental tunnel. advantage. You know, it wasn't a question of uh, if Thierry Henry was going to score. It was a question of what type of goal he was going to score. It wasn't a question of if uh, Burkamp or Perez were going to like get an assist. It would be what type of ball they would lay on a platter for somebody else. And it wouldn't be a question of who was going to win the midfield battle because it was always going to be Arsenal. And it was always going to be the Vieira Gilberto Silva just dominating the centre of the park or, you know, Lundberg. You know, it, it, it gives us... And it's what Liverpool have when Van Dijk's on the pitch. That 7-2 against Liverpool this season showed a lot of their frailties because it showed that um, Virgil van Dijk, especially, because I'm pretty sure he played, uh, was is not indestructible. Was Is not, is not this kind of um, immortal, cannot-be-touched god at the back. He can be got at and he can be beaten. And... As soon as Villa smelt the blood in the water, they went for it. And I think that having a player that already gives you the edge in that mental battle is a big thing in football. And so sure. having a player like Thomas Partey is just unbelievable. It's unbelievable, mate. And and like, you know, thing. okay, these things don't particularly matter, but highest pass accuracy in the game um, of, the, of the players who weren't substituted on, you know, just having someone who isn't going to lose you, isn't going to make mistakes in the middle of that park, isn't, you know, it's that aura that we've just discussed. It's having someone that you just, defenders give half an inch more space. And that that half an inch more space in the Premier League accounts for so much. And just having that player who just has that, you know, physicality and power is, is, so, is so nice to have in our team. But yeah, I thought, you know, in terms of, Early stages, he and as Arteta said, he kind of grew into the game. Um, not much to report from the first sort of 20, 30 minutes. I felt it was a bit slow, a bit static, as I said. Um, Even there the was first the... half, I don't think, was particularly exciting. No, and again, you know, listen, we're in a, the, we've come out of a quite congested period of, of fixtures. We've had a lot of injury problems, COVID problems. You know, there's lots of reasons for all this. Ultimately, we got the win in the end, and that's and we could be sat here scratching our heads, going, "What's what's what's the problem?" We found a way to get past that. We found, bye. We found. <laughs> Brad just got up and left. I was just shutting the door because I can hear something. So disgusted by my opinions. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just thought like, and and you know something like the first chance, Smith Rowe. You know, we'll come on to him, but you know he he does so well to find Saka. Saka has that shot and. Um, I think it is it Darlow palms out and Alba hits the mm. bar. You feel like in a different period that might have gone in. You know, it's just, it was just one of those frustrating. Always very unlucky. Of the game. It's it's you know, even if it's hit just an inch lower, it clips off the bar and goes into the back of the net. It's you know, and obvi- and I think Abamyang, as much as he scored against Newcastle in the FA Cup, 
will know that it's been a while since he's had a goal in the league, wants to be scoring again. And you see with a lot of strikers, you're seeing it with Werner at the moment, and you're seeing it with a lot of strikers, that when they hit a dry patch and when they come out of form, they this is for me what separates the difference between world-class strikers and very good strikers. A very good striker in those moments will start to snatch at opportunities because they're so desperate to get a goal and get back into form that they'll just throw. And you saw that with Aubameyang, you know, there was a moment where he, there's an opportunity to just take it on his left. And instead he takes two extra touches and tries to clip across in and Darlow easily catches it. And you think, look, the likelihood is, is if you take that shot first time, it's going to get deflected out and it's probably going to go out for a corner. But realistically, even if it's a 5% chance that it doesn't and it goes bottom corner, one, you've got a 5% chance of scoring. And two, if it gets clipped out for a corner, that's much better than a really low percentage cross that's gone straight to the goalkeeper. And for me, a world-class striker doesn't snatch at the type of opportunities and buries that, buries that moment, you know. You know what they say, Brad? What? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Do you know what else they say? What? Live, laugh, love. Oh, fuck off. Um, Yeah, I I I think he's... It's good that he's gotten two now because at least he'll, you know, hopefully calm down. Yeah, I I, when I promise I did say this (coughs) when um, Arteta scored the first goal, when Aubameyang scored the first goal, I did say floodgates opening now. Like it's, you know, it's it's one of those things. I think Aubameyang is, as all players are, affected by confidence. And it did Mm -hmm. feel to me that he was doing he, he was doing the most in a lot of these things. And I think, you know, that. The only real chance to speak of in that first half, I think, goes in if he's in. The, if he, you know, even in the second half, that that chance just goes in because you just find that touch and you he just find taps that, it. He just taps it in. He know, just rolls it in. It's yeah. So it's because the thing is, is right. Everyone's going to be going. Oh, it's such a simple finish. Look, the ball is coming at him at quite a pace. He's not got. He's not got a lot of time to react. But an inform of Amiang doesn't feel the pressure to score. So just takes the option to just glance it in. Hmm. An out-of-form one that scored two Premier League goals in 15 games or 18 games lashes at it because he's so desperate to get back into form. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I thought... Um, yeah, I mean, that was the only real for- chance of the first half. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just remembered <laughs> I saw someone call party Garnosaurus, which I fucking love. <laughs> uh, but Garnosaurus was playing some, you know, again, some some really nice balls and he was... Um, he has this really lovely that like diagonal diagonal ball he plays that beats um, progressive balls. Uh, I don't have the stats on it, but I'm sure there's some stats probably going around about it. It's 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 just so nice to see that, and it was really hard to beat our press. Like we were committing men forward, but we're actually quite decent. We were we were sitting quite quite high up the pitch, and Newcastle found it hard to get out. Um, Smith Rowe, man, like we'll come on to more of his like you know, individual moments of brilliance that happened in the second half. But I, I just, he makes the team circulate just as if you watch his off ball running, especially when we're, you know, there's kind of phases where we're a bit static. We're a bit kind of, okay, you know, Holding's got it and Louise has got it. And then it's back to holding and it's out to Cedric and it's back to, you know, the kind of, the kind of horseshoe stuff that we see, which is, you know, fine. It's part of the buildup, but we do spend a lot of time in that phase. What you do see is Smith Rowe circulating 
and you do see Smithrow dropping into, and I love that freedom he mentioned in his um in his post match that Arteta asked him to play with that freedom, and the fact that he can drift out to the left, drift out to the right, swap positions with Saka, swap positions with Aubameyang, swap positions with Lacazette, it just creates that element of unpredictability, and it is what we've been missing. And I think sometimes when people talk about creativity, they they think about you know, a nice pass, a reverse, you know, a through ball, all that sort of thing. But actually sometimes what creativity is, is creating the spaces for other people and creating and the, fluidity and creating fluidity. And you watch him circulate himself. And so Newcastle defenders are just, again, it's, it's fine margins. It's a couple of yards out. It's a, you know, the line's not quite sure where to sit. And then the spaces open up for a party to play for Garnosaurus to play a ball through for, for holding to, you know, for Luis to try a ball out to Aubameyang. And yeah. These things happen, and, and you know Smith Rowe, he's so fucking good. <laughs> like absolutely, and it's, it's, I, it's I difficult. With... It's difficult to believe this is his sixth league start. Yeah, it's mental, and I think it. I agree with everything you're saying, and I think it was. It might good. have been a Thierry Henry interview um, about his time at Barcelona under Guardiola, where he was talking about Guardiola's philosophy of being really structured. Uh, in the defensive third and in the midfield third and then having complete and utter freedom in that kind of final phase. Hmm. And I think it is it is so important because otherwise you, you have the situation that we had where we were so predictable in going yeah. down that left-hand side that it was so easy to nullify us. And I think it's why, especially, especially offensively, Pep Guardiola teams are unmatchable. I don't think I don't other than maybe Julian Nagelsmann with what he did with Leipzig last season. I don't think anyone has come close to the success of having um, as good a forward line. You know, Pep's had his issues when it comes to his overthinking and other phases of kind of play with him. But one thing I don't think he's ever really struggled with is getting a front line kind of really firing. And you can see that in the ridiculous amounts of goals they scored when they were centurions. And it's. I think it, it is something that we've lacked since those days of having, you know, players like Henri who could drift out and grab an assist as much as he could drift it, cut inside and smash one home. And Pires, who could float between being a left winger, a cam, a left midfield, all of these things. And it's such a positive that we're now seeing a lot of youngsters who obviously didn't grow up on that brand of football because, you know, Bazaar is 19. Yeah, he'd have been three years old when the Invincibles happened. But he's been at the club since he was like, what, six or seven? He'll have grown up uh, as a footballer, you know, and his first kind of years at the club with that mentality and with those, with some of those players and with that ethos. And we're seeing the kind of, there were a few moments that you just like, it's, it is the fruits of having such a successful previous tenure in yeah. these youngsters. Because, you know, youngsters... That's very like, That's a good point. There is a reason that youngsters from successful clubs tend to be good because they are around elite-level mentalities and elite-level players who can guide them. You know, you're thinking of the handover from Ronaldinho to Messi, you know, and you see some shades of of Ronaldinho in Messi and the way he carries the ball. Please, by the way, tell me you saw his absolute like backhand slap RKO of that fucking athletic Bilbao player to get I his first ever off. red. Yeah, he basically like slaps the back of the head of one of them. Oh fuck! On, on yeah, purpose. The, yeah, yeah. 
It, he's oh. they're they're, they're three two down in the uh, in the Spanish Cup final when they're chasing an equaliser in like the ninety fourth minute or whatever I think, and I'm pretty sure they're three two down by this point, or it might have even been two two, but I'm not sure. And God is in the detail. He's like running forward, um, running forward to like try and get get near the box, and um, and a Bilbao player crosses in front of him, and he like pushes him out and slaps the back of his head. Oh fuck! Okay. <laughs> Gets sent off. It's class. Are you going to finish your point? Or? <laughs> oh, I, I've completely gone off topic, haven't I? Sorry about Cla- that. Um, <laughs> classic me, tangents, all that. That is jazz. the most Brad thing I've ever that seen. The most, that is the most Brad thing that I think has ever happened no, but on this what, podcast. Yeah, I think we, what, what you were starting with was sort of the Pep, the, this is this proof that I was listening, the the Pep kind of getting you into that final third, the kind of creativity and Saka growing up on that kind of vengable thing. And we've seen the fruits of it. Yeah. I completely agree. And if you're not, and the thing is, right, an opposition can't plan on what you're going to do if you're only deciding what you're going to do in that moment. That's why, and we'll probably discuss it a little bit later, uh, but that's why Meza Ozil was such a successful footballer in his kind of earlier days. And obviously he trailed off in his last few seasons with us, but a decline happens with professional footballers and it's not like we had a good team in the first place. So we can't exactly be lumping the blame 100% on him. We're saying a lot of fans saying a lot of shit on Twitter. This man has done more... Uh, at the German national team than Arsenal have achieved in the last 15 years. So calm down, calm down. But uh, it's because of his unpredictability. You didn't know, he could see things that other people couldn't and you didn't know where he was going to put the ball. And that unpredictability led to him having 16 assists by December in the 2015-2016 season. And led to him, you know, being one of the, I think he's still in the top three for chances created over the last like seven or eight seasons or something stupid like that because he made the decision in the moment to do what he was going to do when he was playing well. And now that we're starting to see Arsenal as a club bring that back into how we're playing, we're we're seeing a lot more success with our kind of offensive opportunities because... If Smith-Rowe just in one moment decides to pull out to that right and Saka pulls into the centre, it's a complete dynamic shift that changes the way that people start to mark the players because you defend Bukayo Saka very differently to how you defend Smith-Rowe, to how you defend the Bamiyang. And those interchanges are what are really starting to bring some kind of exciting phases to our offensive game at the moment which I'm just fucking ecstatic about for sure for sure um the only other thing I sort of noticed in that first half we've slightly touched on it but Xhaka he just feels a yeah we sort of talked about at the beginning but you know that the him feeling slightly redundant when when Tierney's not on the pitch because when when you know when Xhaka doesn't have that out ball. He does, yeah. But listen, we've talked about that and the need for a number eight. So let's not go, let's not go back on that. Um, I just felt it slowed us down in the first half. Yeah. Um, okay, we came out in the second as always a bit better. I'd I'd love to know what Mikel says to them as I say it almost every <laughs> every podcast. But it is interesting, you know, notable certainly that every single time. Oh, it's it's a palpable change. Yeah, it's a palpable change in that first 10 Which minutes. Which is a sign of good management. Like, I, you know, I'd, I'd, put, I'd prefer them to go out in the first half and do that. But it's a sign of good management that he knows what to say. And he said in his post-match, you know, I, I, there was a few things that I thought we could do better, which we did. And, you know, it led to immediately to a, 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 um, a, a chance from Lacazette and a great save from um, Darlow. 
and then party, you know, giving Alba the space and, and, and he does what he does against, is it Kraft? And great, you know, Kraft. great moments from, from Alba taking, you know, it's a great finish, great bit of dribbling. That's what we're used to from him. And I think that's what he's capable but of. As we've said many times, you give him, you give him space to run into, you give him a one-on-one against someone, you give him, you know, you give him space on that that side Four of the box with that, and that's it. with that angle. You know, as I say, you know, low touch player. If we if he can be that player for us, then great. You know, I I was looking in the first half, going, oh, I'm just not convinced. But if he can be that kind of out ball, you know, that that's you know, fifteen twenty goals a season, and and and, and fair play to him because he's always in the right positions. Um, and then the second goal felt like it came almost straight after um you know great traveling from smith road does this lovely kind of turns is it lascelles inside out um and he and Ke- uh, carrigo picks it up in the in the post match analysis for sky that he looks it's not a just a cutback he sees saka i mean this guy's this guy's incredible but you know as i say it's it's quality it's quality and you can see the lift when we score you can see the mm-hmm. the players coming into their you know coming out of their feelings and try and again it's once we've scored a couple, we're then going into one touch, two touch stuff. Cedric looks like a proper baller. You know, it's it's such a shame that we have fallen so far that we're in that place now where we score a goal and that's when we jump into life. Um, it just feels like a very much a, a symptom of where we are that that we have to score a goal to kind of go okay. Yeah. And a symptom of probably some of the mentalities that are still around the club. Yeah, I, I want to touch on that later, actually, um, on the Mustafi thing, because Mustafi said something that really, I mean, Mustafi pisses me off anyway. But I want to touch on that later. And there's a kind of a culture thing that I'd love to, a sort of a victim mentality thing that I think is has crept into the club and hopefully is on its way out. Um, Yeah, I mean, realistically, you know, I, just, I was just happy to see us playing some decent one-touch, two-touch stuff. Um, Another thing I noted, Rob Holding is quite underrated 1v1. I just put that down on my notes. It's sort of a bit of a bit of a bit of a non sequitur, but I I don't know if I'd say he's underrated. I'd say that that's where his main weakness has been as a defender over the last few years and he's improved it a lot. Hmm. So, I think it's less a situation of it being underrated and him just actually improving as a footballer if that makes sense like he's just getting better yeah and he's never going to be fucking Cannavaro or fucking prime Maldini but if he's a perfectly serviceable centre-back that's that's something that every single club needs it's so true and he has definitely from what I've seen from even just if if you look at the way that an Andy Carroll used to bully Arsenal and I think it's also um, I was looking at photos of him. He seems to have filled out a bit. He seems to be quite like, a few of bigger. our players have. I wonder whether it's something that Arteta said Smith Rowe has, Saka has, um, yeah, Holding has as well. And even that, you know, his distribution isn't excellent. But he's never going to be the centre back that receives the ball to spray the ball to, you know, Tierney running up the left or Aubameyang or get it into party. He's always he's he's going to be obviously the option that, but he's a he's he's a serviceable. Bull defender, a serviceable passer, and okay, moving forward, 
should we either look to get Saliba in or buy another right-sided centre-back if we're going to get rid of whatever? Yes, we need a, a top right-sided centre-back as well as a top left-sided centre-back. You've seen it with Liverpool in that as soon as they lost Virgil van Dijk, van Dijk made the players he was playing next to nearly invincible because he is an incredible footballer. Um, but if you're looking at teams like... If you're looking at the best teams in the world, they've always had two absolutely quality centre-backs. And I think at centre-back, like, the kind of the partnership is so important. Yes. Like, the, that kind of, you know, the 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 two, you know, we saw the perfect example with Arsenal is the, is the Mertesacker and Koscielny, two players with very different strengths who kind of clean up after each other. And, and that's, and that's, and that's a really good thing to have. And I think it's about finding that partnership and not having two players. I do worry about Saliba and Gabriel, whether they are a bit, a bit similar, a bit, a bit, you know, in certain qualities, we'll have to see how Saliba and Gabriel both develop. Um, but just, you know, whether they're both, I don't, you know, I'm kind of chatting out my ass here, but I, I, what I've, cause I don't know much about Saliba cause I haven't seen much of him, but what I've seen of him, he feels like a quite a similar player, a bit of a ball playing defender um, to, to, um, to Gabriel. So we'll have to see, we'll have to see. Um, I also think just, just before we finish up on the game, I also want to highlight Lacazette. Um, Lacazette's been, I think, our top... Ran his socks off. 10 goal involvements, all competitions. Our best um, out of everyone. Aubameyang's behind him on nine. Pep, Pep, interesting, Pepe on eight. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, that pissed me off in the second half. Again, why are we bringing on Willian? Oh, God. Why? I, I Honestly. What, why? Well, because he does such great free kicks, Brad. This is what pisses me off about Arteta still. No, they're really good. Uh, don't try and banter me with this. I'm not having it. This isn't a joke anymore. I love it. The boundaries of jokes end at William. <laughs> they fucking don't, do. Don't press Brad. <laughs> we've um, had a question. Can I just jump in with a question yeah, on this? Jump in with we've this question because que- I fucking we've had a question. It. Brilliant. Um, uh, I do just want to finish, finish up on Lacazette because I think it's important to highlight him. So at Finnanananan has said, "Would you pay one hundred pounds out of pocket right now to guarantee you never see William play for us ever again?" Yes, without a second thought. <laughs> I currently don't have a job. I haven't had a job since last August. I've got no income and I would still pay the money out. Are you feeding the homeless people? Oh, yeah, but obviously lockdown. Hashtag. For about two weeks. Yeah. No, for about three shifts, Alex. (laughs) Oh, mate. Sorry. (laughs) Bless you. No, that's all. But yeah, 100%. I would would pay it out of whatever money I had left. Like... Yeah, he's in a heartbeat. He's bad, man. Why are we? He's bad. We're, like we're not going to get a lot of money out of him if we're looking to move Pepe on so that we can move in a different direction. Why are we not giving him any fucking minutes? It is bizarre. Oh, and this is the thing that just pisses me off about Arteta. It's just the stubbornness. It's the stubbornness. Well, I think when you've spent that much money on a player of Willian's. I hate to use the word quality, but this is the problem: is he's he he. He, someone plays in the ball, he traps the ball, and he plays the ball off to someone else. That is all he does. I see nothing else. There is no progression. There's no any anyway. I'm not. I to be honest, I I just because we've won, I I'm kind of leaving the William thing for now. But anyway, yeah, I do just want to just 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 to highlight the Lacazette thing. Yeah, just chuck it over there. I just want to highlight the Lacazette thing because I think he's a he's a really useful player in this system with Smith Rowe and actually Smith Rowe kind of highlighted himself uh, highlighted um, Lacazette himself in, in his post-match 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've referenced about 14 post-matches in this podcast. Uh, I can tell I've watched them. Um, but the it's saying that Lacazette, you know, and watching Lacazette, and he kind of becomes a bit of like a battering ram, a lacquering ram, if you will. <laughs> you won't, that's fine. That was t- fucking terrible. I'm so sorry. Um, he is a bit of a... <laughs> oh, it was so bad. It was funny. <laughs> you just know that's going as the title. You know it. Oh, I thought... Um, like Mario Goretzka. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you liked that one. Um, yeah, th- like, but but he is that player to kind of bounce the ball off. And as we sw- we talked about Smith Rowe being the one in the one-two, Lacazette is the two in the one-two. Like, he's... He's really good for for that centre forward role. I mean, he's massively limited in, in lots of different things. But I think having that player who can with Smith Rowe, if we're gonna if we're gonna play Smith Rowe, Lacazette is a really useful player to play alongside him. Mm. Not only because of their connection in terms of off the field, but on the on the pitch, Lacazette does. You know, he's a bit of a beast, and he does hold the ball up, and he can get a header on. He sort of nicks it. It's a bit messy and all a bit weird, but you know, he is a lacquering round. <laughs> I'm still laughing at that. Fucking Sorry. Out. Uh, and to be fair, he was really unlucky. You know, there was that header at the back post that Darlow, I think, pulls off an incredible save, makes himself big, and it catches it off of his right leg and sends it out for a corner. So it was unlucky yeah. that he didn't score tonight. For sure, for sure. And then Cedric got beyond. Really good. Nice delivery. Bamming's in the right place. 3-0. Bish bash bosh. Three points. Happy days. Three points. Sick. Anything else on the game, Brad? No. We'll be back after this. Oh, jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Welcome to News and Views. Uh, This is the part of the show where we give you all the Arsenal news and all your Arsenal views, but mostly ours. Uh, So, (laughs) (laughs) uh, the big news this week, or this, you know, at the moment, is obviously Mesut Ozil. Um, uh, I was trying to think of something funny, and it didn't didn't come. Sometimes it doesn't, Brad. Uh, Some would argue it never does for me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, listen, Ozil's leaving the club. We can have. I just want to have a bit of a jumping off point to to get your opinion on all that. But I do want to focus and kind of just on this Mustafi's send off, which was, bro, you have been the most unselfish player on and off the pitch I have ever shared the dressing room with. I, I paused for a comma because Anna, I'm, oh, he's he's foreign. Like, that's harsh. Um, you will be always remembered as the hashtag assist king. Unfortunately, we as a team haven't been able to assist you when you needed us the most. All the best. Hashtag SM20. Was it hard, Mesut? Was it hard on 350k a week? Okay, here's we the thing. We couldn't assist right. you as a team, could we? Oh, I, I didn't assist I take... him in the fucking Carabao Cup final, you prick. Didn't assist I... him against Crystal Palace, you prick. Didn't assist us against Leicester when you let Vardy go, you prick. Mustafi can fuck off. Like, Mustafi can do one. I think he is one of the main, main things that's wrong with the club at the moment. Mustafi or William. But on the, I think on the Ozil situation... No comment. 
it's it's very difficult because obviously, look, the man has been an incredibly successful footballer. We hadn't won a trophy in 10 years. Something stupid, nine years, comes in and galvanises us to a place that, you know, we won, we've won four FA Cups in the last six years or something. He is one of the biggest reasons that uh, uh, that Alexis played as well as he did. And when Ar- when Wenger was asked why Alexis's drop-off was so major, Wenger answered, Mesut Ozil <laughs> did not have him. Um, and whatever you think about the situation that's gone on at the club, I think that there are some very, very obvious things that need to be, that need to kind of, people need to realise. Is one, that Mesut Ozil was not left out for footballing reasons. Two, if... A club that you had, and look, he's being paid for the privilege, but realistically, he could have left on a free if he wanted to. You know, that was an option. At the time, people, I remember there was like talk of Barcelona, whether that was true or not, who knows. But there was talk of big clubs being interested. It was a free signing, very low risk. So you're talking about one of the most successful footballers in you know german history in you know he's been the top assister in the bundesliga in la liga in the premier league and i think that there's an important distinction to make that he is an employee and if any one of us was offered a 200% raise and then two or three years later were told to just fuck off and that we didn't want to pay you off pay you your redundancy money or whatever all of us would be pissed and all of us would demand the money that was rightfully ours. I don't blame Meza Ozil for any of that situation. And if any of you do, that is because you are an idiot who believes in the PR spin that has vilified what is like, he's a nice guy. This man has done a ridiculous amount of work for charity, he spoke about, was one of the first public um, and famous figures to speak out against Ujia Muslims against, sorry, not against UGM Muslims, but against the atrocities that were happening in China with involving UGM Muslims. He's not an arsehole. And anyone who believes that he's this kind of money-grabbing, horrific person has unfortunately been pulled into this kind of spun world that, in my opinion, I think the Cronkies have let out. But is this a good move for Arsenal? Yes. If we're not going to play the man when he's on 350 grand a week, no matter how much I love him as a person, he's probably my favourite footballer I've ever seen in an Arsenal shirt because, you know, I'm, I was too young to really remember the days of kind of Ian Wright, Thierry Henry, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's good. This is a good, and this is a good thing to now have a cultural reset at the club to get all of these players out and to get some fresh faces in. We, we've got 30 members of our first team squad at the moment. I want at least 10 of them gone and bring in some new faces, refresh and move forward. And I know that's a bit of a rant, but thank you for listening. No, it's great, mate. Like I, 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 I wholeheartedly agree with large, large amounts of that, mate. Like, it, it, you know, I think Ozil, when we look back, will be considered the archetypal arsenal the hopefully will be when when our problems are behind us as we are led to glory by Mikel Arteta but i think he will be the seen as the archetypal 
type of problem player that we had in this period. A player who had a lot of potential, a player who on his day was fantastic, a player who, um, but a player who frustrated for whatever reason. Meza Ozil's reasons are things off the pitch. Meza Ozil's reasons are maybe political. We don't know. Meza Ozil maybe had co- contract things that we don't know about. Meza Ozil maybe didn't train very well. Whatever. We don't know. The, the thing with the Ozil situation is I don't really want to comment on it massively because all I can say is it's it's good for the club. But what I think yeah. we will look back on is a period of time with the Alexises, with the Mkhitaryans, with the Lacazettes, with the Ozils, with the Ramses even, with the Wilshers, with the Welbecks, with the Giroux, where... We let their contracts run down. We yeah. W- listen, we get a lot out of these players, but it's there's always a bit of a ah. Uh, but we just if if Ramsey sour had, taste, it's a, a bittersweet taste that we've had. And because and if this we is going, just won the league, if we just added in 2015, if we yeah. just if we just if we just going back to Sesk, going back to these players, because going back to Van Persie, like th- this this whole period, we've had so many players depart the club with just a slight bitter taste in, in our mouths. I don't think leaving a club is ever going to be completely amicable, ultimately. Because no, you, you're, saw, you're, you saw Madrid fans boo Ronaldo when he left. Listen, you know, Ronaldo, what more could he have done? He won them, what, five Champions Leagues or whatever. Three in a row. Three like, in a row. <laughs> like, what more could the guy have done? L- look at this. But what I'm saying is we do tend to, as a club, mismanage those types of situations. And I hope Ozil is the last in a long line of contract mismanagement, of man mismanagement, of player mismanagement, mismanagement. of of squad mismanagement, of of accepting poor standards, of accepting bad training. It's It's the, you know, I understand Arteta's non negotiables seem pretty negotiable right now. But for Arteta installing a culture which let's be clear as you say a cultural reset this is what this has to be for Arteta to reset that culture someone like Mesut Ozil is unfortunately is collateral because he is someone of a bygone era massive and he's he's also he he will hold a lot of sway with a lot of people and sometimes that's not a good thing and I think that, you know, as much, and listen, I know I just run on a massive sp- spiel about it. I think this whole situation is kind of six of one and half a dozen of the other in that we never built a squad properly around Meza Ozil. We never put the all action DM destroyer next to Meza Ozil that he needed. We never put, you know, the world, world class striker in 2015, 16 in front of Meza Ozil that was going to bang 25 lead goals and lead us to a Premier League, you know. But, mate, th- but th- this is the thing, In though, the last two... I'm, I'm but, sorry, but, 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 wait, 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 wait. Okay. In the last two years, you know, when he has played, he's been okay, but he's never been that accepting into the new way of playing. There's always been a kind of division around the club since Wenger left. And I think as somebody who, um, again, I, I, I watched a kind of... I think it was the kickoff debate about this. I saw that, and, yeah. um, Lawrence McKenna, who... I really, really respect, said that, uh, and I really agree with this, that Arsene Wenger, uh, people didn't appreciate how much Arsene Wenger brought to the culture of the club. That's so weird. I was literally about to mention this. This this kind of idea that Arsene Wenger 
made players feel wanted. And that is a massive thing. And I don't think Meza Ozil's probably felt wanted since since that because you know you saw Emery come in and try and do and Emery has done this at every single club he's been at it's his tactic he comes in and he tries to take the 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 biggest player or one of the biggest egos in the dressing room down a peg doesn't always work we saw him do it at PSG and he tried to do it with Meza Ozil here it didn't work and he didn't outlast him and then he's obviously had this Arteta situation where he's not been registered for the Premier League squad And I think that it has been a long... And, you know, football players do need to... Most football players need to feel valued and wanted to... You know, that's that's part of, you know, who you are in the workplace. I don't think there's a lot of people who can say that they would like what they're doing or put in their best work if they didn't feel like they were being valued. And I think that that's one thing that we lost in 2018 when Wenger left. So... I get that, mate, but like... I, I don't want to be that guy who just goes, oh, well, it's just not even worth discussing. The thing, my, my problem is, so for example, like as a tiny microcosm of this, so what you just said about the strikers, yeah, and the reason I wanted to jump in was this. The strikers, okay, we didn't sign a world-class striker. Fine, we had Giroud, yeah, he missed loads of those chances. We signed a Bamiyang in the, in the, in the window where he, um, where he signed his new deal. He's got one assist for a Bamiyang. In that time, since then, I'm not. You know, the problem yeah, is. Yeah, but we if, did if go we, from playing prime Vengerball to well, not absolutely, even prime Vengerball, absolutely Vengerball to playing Unai Emery. That that's what I mean by stats like that. He had six months under a manager that wanted him. I, that I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying we. I'm not saying anything to do. I'm. I'm just saying the problem is the. The league, if, we, if we're looking at it almost like from like a league, if we were trying to make like a case for the defence and the prosecution, it's really difficult because the facts aren't clear and they're subjective and they're difficult. We don't know exactly what happened and all these things. That's not to shut down debate. But I think as, in terms of Arsenal fans, what what should we be thinking of this? Well, we yeah, we in, don't know in, why. In my opinion, kind of it doesn't really, not that it doesn't matter but I hope that we look back on this and just see it as that. And it's pie in the sky to believe that we're never going to mismanage another contract, never going to mismanage another player. I'm not saying that. But the amount and volume of players that we've mismanaged, like, yeah. like Meza Ozil, has been disgusting, has been has been poor, poor, poor from the club. So whether you think Ozil is, you know, I watched those two guys on the kickoff and I agree with them both. I can see both sides of the argument. And again, I hate to be that guy who just kind of says, I agree with everyone, so let's not talk about it. It's not, it's, I'm not trying to shut down the debate. But what I'm trying to say is like the the idea the idea that, you know, you can make an argument for anything. The point is Arsenal need to move on from this era. And I hope we do. And I hope Ozil is the exact microcosm of that person that we're moving on from. And I, I, I totally agree with you because the important thing to remember is the truth is always in the middle. Yeah, normally anyway. It's never, and I think it's never just, and this is why I say it's as much Meza Ozil's fault as it is, you know, the club's fault for the way that we mishandled him. Because we can say, you know, we put a Bamiyang in front of him two years later and then he's had one assist to him. But that wasn't prime Meza Ozil. He'd already hit a decline and we were playing with a different manager under a different style. If you're talking about putting a, if you, if we'd signed a Bamiyang, that 2015-2016 season, I would stake everything I own that we win the league that year. You're talking about Meza Ozil, prime in form, 16 assists by December with 
a lethal striker in front of him who was beating Robert Lewandowski to golden boots in Germany at the time. You know, I have no doubt that that would have happened. The only issue is, is it didn't happen. So it becomes a, a question of if, buts and maybes. This is a good thing for the club to move forward. But the one thing that I think with this conversation, I think we're both trying to do and to stress is that right now, a lot of people are so far one side of the argument that they can't see like the woods for the trees. They're so deep into, no, he's a snake who's stolen money from from us. Uh, Or no, he's a perfect human being that's never done anything wrong. The truth is in the middle. And I could literally, I could sit, we could sit here and I could just arbitrarily pick one side of the argument and you could pick the other and we could swap in the middle and it would still all make sense. Yep. This is the problem with, with things this complicated. And this is why it's so hard to talk about the other situation because it's like, there's so many narratives you can make. Okay, well, on the one side, he's an incredible playmaker who arrived and he, you know, he you take that contract and, blah, 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 and put, he's just, exactly as you just said, you know, he's a snake or whatever. Listen, at the end of the day, it's happened. He's moved on. I just hope, and the, for me, the more important thing to focus on now is the future and not mismanaging players in the way that we did with Mesut Ozil. Not, you know, having that kind of difficult transition and Gazidis and Wenger and Emery and Sanyehi and all, it doesn't help. And we hopefully we'll have a period of stability now, a period of strength, a period of moving forward and catching up with the modern game. And whatever you think of him, well, just my opinion. Personally, I don't think Ozil's right for the modern game. So we've moved on and that's that. And it, you know, there's mm. there's three, four hours of podcasts that you could do talking about it. But I just think let's move oh, on. Oh, we could sit here and make an itemized list of everything and we'd be here for two and a half, three hours of making all the pros and cons, discussing them all in depth. It would take fucking So let's ages. do it. So when he signed the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? There's no point. Yeah. It's as in having that conversation. I think it's just what I think we're trying to impress is as much as, you know, it would be nice to have that conversation, there is zero point. But what there is a point to do is to hopefully make people understand that the truth is in the middle. And I've said that like four times because no, I want people true. to understand that. That it, is, that it is not helpful to be so reductive and be like, no, this is the truth without being... And one thing I notice about um, that uh, the, the kickoff is uh, the other guy, Rory, is so belligerent with his view that he walks himself into just arguing for the sake of arguing because he's not... What he's doing is is a classic thing that when you talk to people, he's listening to respond rather than listening to process, understand and rebuff or rebuke. And there is a, there is a very, very, very big difference. He will just... He will just belligerently attack one point without allowing conversation around it. And it all comes from his own personal opinions, and that's fine. People are allowed them. I just don't think it's helpful. I think it's reductive. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone should have an opinion, though. I just think let's just all... Fuck your opinions. Let's just all delete our Twitter accounts, watch the games in total isolation, delete the podcast. Um, No, it's, it's, it's very true. It's, listen, it's... Yeah, the, the online debate, I mean, that's a whole other topic, isn't it, right? Um... I want to ask a question from Nick, who is at NickP81. We we sort of touched on this before, um, but specifically for the next game, does Cedric start ahead of Bellerin? Yes. Yeah, I think that's pretty cut and dry for Cedric me. Cedric or Ainsley? He didn't do any... Cedric or Ainsley? Listen, he got an assist tonight. It's pretty cut and dry yeah. for me. I, I, I've said many times on this podcast, 
I don't think Bellerin's been the same since his injury. I'm worried about his left leg. Um, I think he's worried about it subconsciously. Um, I would sell him. Yeah, I, th- I think Cedric does start. Um, and, and I think good on it. The Bellerin conversation. Yeah, hundred percent. I think the Bellerin conversation now becomes the conversation that we were having about Arteta six or seven games ago. In that sticking with the same thing because you want stability is a worse idea than changing it and looking for something stable. Yeah. In that if things had continued to get worse under Arteta, sticking with Arteta for this faux sense of, oh, we want to be a stable club with one manager rather than sacking another one, probably wouldn't have been the the way forward. And I think we know that now with Bellerin. We know exactly what he is. We know exactly what he's going to offer. We need to do kind of our only other option, which is, Give Cedric or Ainsley the run out at right back. Sell Bellerin if you can. And if you're planning on bringing in a left back. And if you think that Cedric isn't good enough to be first team and you don't think Ainsley's good enough to be first team, that is the third position you sort out. You sort out striker, you sort out central slash attacking midfield and you sort out that right back slot. Just a quick one to finish us off. Uh, this was a question from Now Arsenal, and they did a nice little graphic, which was some of the best Arsenal midfielders of the Emirates era so far. Quick answer, just to finish off the podcast, if you could bring back one of these players in their prime to play in the current team, so that's just, so not just who's the best or whatever, as in who would add the most to the current team, who would you bring back out of Cesc Fabregas, Thomas Rosicki, Samir Nasri, Aaron Ramsey, Jack Wilshire, Mikel Arteta, Santi Cazorla and Mesut Ozil. For me, it's a toss-up between Cazorla and Fabregas. Because I don't think that... As much as I think that Prime Ozil is just as... is is clear of Prime Cazorla and is just as good, if not better, than Prime Fabregas, I think if we're talking about bringing them back into this current squad and seeing what we need, we need somebody in that eight to 10 role who can put up a little bit of defensive numbers, but can also cover the cam role. And so for me, it would be either prime Fabregas or prime Cazorla. What about you, mate? Get off the fence. Pick one. Do you want me to just pick one? Go on. Um, Come on, we've got homes to get to. Cazorla. I bring back Cazorla. Cazorla. I love them. And and I think that's more of um, a nostalgia thing rather than a, a, Pure non-biased yeah. decision. Okay, for this team, this team that we currently have, the problems that we currently have, I'm looking at between F- Wilshire to sit uh, alongside Party and progress the ball, and Fabregas. Um, it's a toss-up. I'm going to get off the fence and go with Emmanuel Frimpong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'd go for Wilshire. I'd go for Wilshire. All right. Uh, I love who's how we just both like... had Fabregas in our to- in our toss ups and neither of us picked him. <laughs> yeah, he's a rat, isn't he? Uh anyway. Scumbag. Scum. Pleasure as always, Bradley. Um yeah. we will see you after the Southampton game and then the Southampton game. Uh <laughs> double Southampton. We've got, we've got double Southampton and then double maths, so that'll be good. Um so yes, well I mean presumably we'll be playing Southampton. I don't think Shrewsbury are gonna pull off anything i don't know much about shrewsbury so maybe that's disparaging maybe i should Neither take that back we're gonna get comments from disgruntled from shrewsbury saying 
Uh, no one listens to us in Shrewsbury. Uh, all right. Uh, pleasure as always, Bradley. And I'll speak to you after the next game. Speak to you then, mate. Thanks all for listening. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. Find us on Twitter at DiffKnock and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.